This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. And when my father and my agent at the time explained to me that this is a business, you are the business, things started clicking a little bit. Still very young, still very uneducated. I didn't go to college. I barely graduated high school. Dyslexic, ADD, the whole shebang. But I knew that I was street smart and I knew that I could get to the top because I just needed someone to hear me. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. We all know the saying confidence is key, right? And, you know, that's true. But in Ashley Graham's case, it's a little more than that. Confidence is her brand. Ashley's been breaking down barriers in the modeling industry as a force for body positivity. She's also made lanes for herself as an entrepreneur and in media with her podcast, Pretty Big Deal. And at the root of it all is, you guessed it, confidence. And it's more than just having the gumption to do all these things. Confidence can be a source of creative inspiration. In our conversation, Ashley explains how she spun advocating herself into a creative business. Oh, and fun fact, and I mean, apropos of nothing, I got Ashley to sing somewhere in this episode. It's a whole thing and a whole setup. Just just listen. All right. Hi, Ashley. We just had a whole conversation that had nothing to do with what we're actually here to talk about, but that's fine. Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> it's nice to talk to you and look you in the eye. I've done so many of these Zooms now, not looking anyone in the eye, and it just feels weird. Like, So I can't wait to see people in person again, because that's I really get a lot of energy from in person. You and me both. And, I can, and I, I'm glad we're you know having a video call right now, because I can see your shirt, which much respect. Love yes. it. Thank you. <laughs> um, as a Black life, I appreciate it. <laughs> so. You have to represent always. And I mean, I'm just wearing it on my shirt, but this is like, this is an ongoing thing. Right. Yeah. And we appreciate any, any, any major voice to amplify it is great. But again, off topic, this is just, I don't, we can go all anywhere, babe, anywhere. (laughs) Well, I want to start from the beginning with you. I mean, I think, cause your story is such, it's such a quintessential, like almost like a movie, right? You're discovered in a mall when you were just 12. And so, and this may be like such a silly question to ask because you were so young, but before you walked into that mall in Nebraska on that fateful day, like, what did you, what did you want for yourself? Like, did you, cause it seemed like modeling just happened to you. So like, what, what did you want to be? Like, what, 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 I mean, it's such, again, it's such a silly question because you're 12. It is, it but... is because at 12, it's like, what are you thinking about in life? And at that point I had just gotten out of my tomboy phase and I was like turning into a woman, um, you know, it was the curves, the height. I was getting into fashion a little bit, you know, like the gap. That Midwest fashion. Yeah. My God. I was like, oh, you guys sell a size 14 jean? This is fashion. I had no idea what Vogue was. I had no idea what modeling was. I didn't know any of that, but I, I, I loved sports. I, I loved making my own clothes at home because nothing fit. So I would cut shirts up. I would, you know, I, I wouldn't just tie a knot, but I would be very intricate in what I did. And my mom and dad just kind of let me do it. But I had many interests. So when I was approached at the mall, it was something that was just kind of like, oh, let's give it a try. And 
from there it was now you have to go to a modeling school now you have to pay us all this money now you have to kind of be twirled and 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 showcased to be sent off to a bigger agency and it worked but this isn't the quintessential story like a lot of times you put your money into something like this and it's a scam but thank god it worked in this case but i don't recommend that for anybody at home that's like oh should i you know do that but i don't recommend it so I can't say that at 12 years old, I knew what I wanted, but I know, I know thinking back then I wanted to do something that I was excited about. And that's what my parents' problem was with me all the time is that I wasn't excited about anything. And now modeling is something, oh, she can maybe be excited about this. So what excited you about it? It was so different. I'm, I'm a nice, plain, simple girl from Nebraska. You are nothing but please. Plain is not what I don't think anyone would describe. There's a mirror right there. Look at yourself. That's not plain. <laughs> Wait a second. I do have a mirror right here. This is my mirror. Oh, okay, there I should have known. <laughs> you know, the the like deep down homegirl in me is like, she is so like, look at me. Like, this is how I run around my house. You know, this is who I am. But the question was what was um, so different about modeling and why was this so exciting is that I didn't know any models. I didn't know that people took pictures and placed them in front. Like I didn't know that that world even existed. And it was also a world where you can make money for, for just how you look. So that was intriguing to me. And my father has always been an entrepreneur. So he saw that there was an idea of a career and he also knew that I was not an academic. <laughs> so he thought, oh, well, she just has to be pretty. Well, let's just push her into this. Moving way far in advance, now you aren't just a pretty face anymore to be a successful model. You have to be a businesswoman. You have to be incredibly inquisitive and smart and driven. So thank God I had my father who was the entrepreneur. But looking back, I was just excited about the idea of something beyond basketball, soccer, or volleyball. Right. And that's what I find so interesting, because I was actually going to ask like what your perception of the modeling industry was before you're part of it. But you said multiple times that you just didn't even know it existed. So what I guess like what perspective did that give you kind of coming into something so cold? Because I think there, there, it's fair to say that there's, there are, you know, 12 year old girls and boys younger who want to be a model, who know that that's what they want to do. And like, who's, you know, parents introduce it to them. They go to these modeling, you know, classes and seminars and that's what they want to do. But this all just happened to you. This, this world that you knew nothing of really was just kind of thrust upon you. And you're just like, cool thumbs up let's do it so what what did that what kind of perspective did that give you coming into it so cold well I didn't understand the grit of fashion until I started traveling to New York City and that was about when I was like 14 years old I didn't understand that there was competition I didn't know that there was hierarchy in, in money and name and fame. I was so innocent to it all. And I have to say, I'm very grateful for the fact that I got into it so young so that I could find success at an earlier age. But there was a lot of things that I think just in my confidence that I wouldn't have had to deal with so soon if it weren't for modeling. Like I'm too fat to get a job 
or I'm not pretty enough to book that cover, or you're just not an interesting enough person, period. So as much confidence as the industry and the business has given me, it started off with a lack of it that I wasn't prepared for. And a label shoved into a box of just being called plus size, nothing more, nothing less. Right. And, you know, kind of to that point, I think it's, it's, it's hard to see like the bigger picture when you're so in the thick of it. But in hindsight, you know, what were those early years like for you? Because we all know you now as like, you know, Ashley Graham, like world famous supermodel, like, you know, really doing the work and it's amazing. But, you know, what was, what was, what was rookie Ashley like? What were those early years of you, you know, finding your way as a model? My first job ever was for this really teeny tiny company in Omaha, Nebraska called Pamida. It doesn't even exist anymore. And I got paid $300 for two hours guaranteed. I had to come with my hair and makeup done. And I just turned 13. Maybe I was just 12, just turned 13. And it was a bra. So I, growing up always as a in my skin, loving the skin that I'm in, um, a home that's very free and open body wise, it was nothing to me. Looking back, I was like, oh, a little scandalous there. <laughs> Mom was with me, all was well. But, you know, that's kind of how it started. I had a model bag, it had my brown shoes, my black shoes, all the bras, all the like undergarments that you needed. It was a different atmosphere of, of, of work. It was a little bit more you're from the Midwest. So you'll understand this. It was more Midwest feeling than when you get to New York city. Got you. Yep. No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> and I don't want to say the word wholesome or nice or any of those words, but it's like, that's what keeps coming to my head. But that's, I mean, that's just the difference of working in the early, early years in Nebraska versus New York. But then when I got to New York, still at such a young age, it was the cutthroat. Okay, I'm at the castings, and there's a million girls there. I had no, I had no idea what I was doing, but I had to, re I had to have this realization that I wasn't just a pretty face. I was a business. And when my father and my agent at the time explained to me that this is a business, you are the business. Things started clicking a little bit still very young, still very uneducated. I didn't go to college. I barely graduated high school, dyslexic, ADD, the whole shebang. But mm -hmm. I knew that I was street smart and I knew that I could get to the top because I just needed someone to hear me. Right. Uh, that I find that that is so interesting. The fact that, you know, it was laid out for you like that, like you are the business. And so like how, I guess like how, how did you, how did, I want to hear a little bit more about how you internalize that and how you carry that with you, you know, to where you are now. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, like the business of Ashley Graham is about what I can do with what I have. So for example, I was in a Lane Bryant commercial that was banned from television. And oh, it was because that's on my list of questions. We're getting, yes, please. No, take us there. Cause that was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. Here I am a size 14, 16 girl in a lingerie very pretty lingerie. I wouldn't even say like ultra seductive. And I'm in a trench coat going to meet my quote boyfriend for lunch. This is all in the commercial. It gets banned from the network because it's quote too sexy, too racy. So this whole 
issue of fat phobia, because I'm just going to put it out there, fat phobia, put me on the map. I was on Jay Leno. I did, you know, I did all the morning shows, everything. My name wasn't one that rang a bell to many, but I was known as the big lingerie girl. And this is where I realized there is a huge hole in the market for curvy, plus size, fat, whatever you want to call it, supportive, sexy lingerie. And I knew that I could fill that gap because I, right in that moment, was the poster child for it. So I said to my agency, I have this. I want to build this. And when I say this, it's an empire. It's a business. I wanted to have a lingerie company that was the ethos of who I was. And they said, no. They said no at you first. You can't have that. You can't oh. have that. That's not you. That's not your brand. What brand did they see for you? If not this, you were booked in this commercial. <laughs> it was like, where and was the disconnect? Is- This is why you need forward thinking people on your side. This is why it matters to have people that are thinking with you, for you, for your future. I didn't realize, like I was too caught up in the relationship and not the business side of of my career to cut people off soon enough. Everything happens for a reason and I learned a lot, but But what happened was they said no. So I said, okay. And I turned my back. I went to a job that was a lingerie job. And I sat, the CEO wanted to come on and meet me for the day. And I met with her and I said, look, Rosalind Greiner, CEO of Additionnel, who's unfortunately not there anymore, but she's a phenomenal woman who really helped change my career. I said, I want to make supportive, sexy lingerie for women, my size and bigger. I want to go to like the biggest cup you have, the biggest band size we can make. These women need to be served. We need this. This is a service that's missing. And she said, okay, what do you want? And I said, I want a bra like this that fits. (laughs) I wish that this was a video podcast because that was so Oh, you got everyone listening. You just missed it. That was that was great. <laughs> I may or may not have just grabbed my breast. Anyways, so she said, "Okay." I said, "I just want to let you know, I'm shopping this out to a few people," and she was like, "Oh, no, no, no! It has to be here." And I said, "Well, in my head, I was thinking, well, that's good. Then I I can cancel that meeting, that meeting, and that meeting that I hadn't even had yet." And next thing you know, the contract was written and it was sent to my agency within a couple months because as a model, my name, image, and likeness is wrapped up in my agency. So I then had to learn another business faux pas in a way is that I don't own me. Uh, <laughs> yes. Woo. Woo. <laughs> right. And here I am 21, 21, 22 years old. No, I think I was 22 or 23 years old. I don't own me, but I'm about to build an empire. I didn't know what it meant, but I just kept moving forward because I knew that if I didn't move forward, nothing was going to happen because the biggest, the biggest game changing moment of my career was this one. in that I was waiting for other people to make decisions and moves for me without me actually pushing them or doing it myself. That's why I went straight to the CEO and it worked. And a year later, my lingerie line was out and I, it's a, it's 10 year business. 
see and i love that story because i i feel like at the root of it and i would love if you can just share any insights like how did you learn how to advocate for yourself because i think that there's a lot of people who would have just accepted that no and just like you know count my blessings where i get them and leave it but you're like no i have something here and yeah. you turn that initial no and turn around and like went straight to the ceo so like what's at the root of that like how did you learn how to advocate for yourself it's hard. I mean, I think that in some cases it's easier said than done. And I, I think that for certain people, it might even be harder than others. I've just been one that has been incredibly unapologetic with my words, but I say anything that comes to my mind with a smile on my face. And I think that knowing that I have that I mean, I want to say like magic is not the right word, but it's kind of something like that, like that I know that I can get into the heart of the person that I'm speaking to is, is something that you have to know about yourself. But, you know, I didn't fit into any of the boxes that were out there. So I had to create my own. And I think that in creating your own box, which we've heard many people say, like, make your own path, create your own box, like, you know, step outside your comfort zone. Like, what do those things mean? But they mean exactly what they are. And if you're advocating for yourself, if you're putting the work in off, off hours, if you're, you know, making the vision boards, writing down your ideas, like you can, you can manifest anything that comes to your mind. And I was doing that. I've had three vision boards. And when I say that 85% of all three vision boards have come true, like it's, it's just something that you can that you kind of have to do for yourself. But advocating for yourself sometimes means, you know, telling your agent that they're not doing a good enough job for you and you're going to leave them. And you do after 15 years of working with them. And that's, it's hard decisions that you have to make. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Ashley talks about how she found and maintains her confidence. And speaking of confidence, I did say at the top of the episode that Ashley was going to sing somewhere in this conversation. I can assure you that she does. And it's a Disney classic. And that's all I'm going to say. So just keep listening. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. And, you know, I, I, I'm still really thinking about this idea of you coming to terms with the fact that you didn't, you didn't own, you didn't own your name. You didn't own, you didn't know that. Cause any model, any model that's listening to this right now, you know, and maybe even some actors and entertainers, of course. your name, your image, your likeness is not yours. That, see, and that's what I find just kind of fascinating about about that scenario because you know as a model you work in you you're working uh, in situations where you're of other people's design right it's you know the magazine uh, needs you needs you for the shoot you're modeling like the specific jewelry or clothes or you know you're at the whims of the photographer and so I want to hear more about what it's been like for you moving into a space where you have more autonomy to create what you want to kind of go back to that young Ashley who was like you know kind of creating her own clothes and being like being super creative and you know obviously you have your podcast now you did the lingerie line so like how has that been for you having the autonomy now at this point of your career to create what you want and what is it that you want (laughs) it's the best it's awesome I have to say like 
just being on the creative side of anything is energizing. It's, it makes you feel for me, because I've always been the puppet as a model. You're a puppet. You are, you aren't asked what you want to wear, how you want to wear it or dressed or anything like that. You're even told sometimes on set, like the photographer will tell you how to move and things are changing where you can, you know, have more say. But, and, the, and this is just the life of a model and, and that's okay because we all have things in our career that we do that get us to the next level. But what's been great is to be on the other side of it. And like you said, with my podcast, you know, I go into the mindset of my podcast with what am I going to learn today? And it has been something that just has fueled my soul with so much curiosity has been filled within me, but also I love storytelling. I love people. I love to understand why people do what they do. Like Demi Lovato was on and she had a big revelation for me. We were talking about body positivity versus body acceptance. And I've always been body acceptance, love the skin you're in, look in the mirror and say, you know, whatever you want to say to your body. But sometimes mine was like, back fat, I see you. Thick thighs, I love you. You know, thick thighs save lives. It's a hashtag for real. And Demi said, I can't look in the mirror and lie to myself. And I said, why can't you, what do you mean? You can't lie to yourself. You can't tell your arms, like high round arms, they're beautiful. She said, no, Ashley, I have to say, thank you for being alive today. Thank you for having peace of mind today. And she said, actually, this isn't positive for me. This is acceptance. That's why I do body acceptance. And it was just like, wow. So I have felt the pretty big deal ethos is just like growing and, and it feels so good to have something because like I said earlier, like you have to have, I mean, as a model, but this is like any business person, you have to have your hands in many different pots. And we've even seen with the pandemic, like you can't just have one thing because you don't know what's going to happen with that one thing. It could just, you know, fizzle out. It could, I mean, there's many things that could happen. Right. And to that point, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to I wanted to ask you, how does something like your podcast, Pretty Big Deal, fit into this overall brand that you're creating for yourself? You know, because I think that there you seem like the type of person who has so many different ideas. And so, like, I don't know if you have a bigger picture for what it is that you want to do outside of modeling or it's just sort of like, you know, kind of taking opportunities as they come. So how, how does Pretty Big Deal fit within all this? Because you're so good at it. You're so good at it. I mean, it's like one interviewer to like, you know, another, like I, I suck at modeling, but I could, I could spot a good, a good interview host a mile away and you're fantastic. So how does that, like, what, what is your career outside of modeling look like? How is that taking shape? And like, yeah, yeah. no, I mean, as a, you know, I am designing, I'm producing, these things are very fun, but I've always wanted my own television show. And I always saw it's like the Ashley Graham show. And when I first moved to New York, all of my gay friends were like, honey, if these walls could talk, they would say Ashley Graham. And, you know, they gassed me up. And I was like, this is what I, I need my own television show. And, and sure enough, that's just been like the ultimate goal. And so as I've realized that podcasts are now taking shape in a bigger way, even almost bigger than TV, I was like, oh, I'm shifting this. I'm going straight to podcasts. I don't, I don't need TV. I mean, unless, unless there's somebody out there that wants to give me a TV show. But I knew that I wanted to build something that was about confidence 
And I had a mentor tell me once, what is the number one question you get asked as Ashley, whether it's, you know, Ashley, whoever Ashley is to this person. And I told her, I said, how people ask me, how do you get confidence? It's a very big question, but it's a question that people are constantly yearning for the answer. And she said, this is your business. So if you go back and you think, okay, what's the biggest question that people ask me? She's like, this is how you turn your business. So I thought, oh, confidence. Okay. So I just need to talk about confidence and talk about how I gain confidence, how other people gain confidence. And that's kind of how this idea of talking with other people who, yes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, athletes, men, women, everybody, because there is a lack of confidence in this country, in this world, especially now, and it's getting worse. So that's really where the idea of Pretty Big Deal came. Now, Pretty Big Deal, the name is because I've always been called pretty for a big girl. And being called pretty for a big girl just kind of like gave me the like, it kind of wanted me to give, like I wanted to give the middle finger to people and be like, well, I'm just a pretty big deal and you can't handle all the bigness. You know, whether it's the hips or the laugh or the personality, fine. And I only have pretty big deals on my podcast. So that's the name. My husband named it. He's he's such a sweetheart. But now when I think about anything business-wise, I'm like, what's the number one question here? What question are we answering when we're fixing a problem? Right. And for you, I mean, this, I, I love the idea of, you know, getting into calling it like sort of a, the business of confidence or that is, that is your business. So how did you find your own confidence and how are you maintaining it? Because I mean, it's not, once you have it, it doesn't always stay in your hands. Like Sometimes no, you can falter. So You're like, right. how, how did you find it? And how are you maintaining your own confidence to be this guru of confidence that you've, <laughs> this title that's been bestowed upon you? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for calling me a guru of confidence. Wow. I mean, listen, it's right there. You know, I can print you some business cards. You know, <laughs> actually grab guru of confidence. Are you looking for a confidence guru? <laughs> Here you go. Here's my card. Call me. Sounded such a sketchy way. <laughs> I always live, I'm like always putting on voices. It's really bad. A back alley guru. <laughs> yes. When I was in Russia doing an interview on a late night show, it was like kind of like a Jimmy Fallon of Russia. He said, I know you can do a really good Russian accent. And and they made me do the Russian accent there on the late night show. And that was a little bit embarrassing, but they they said it was good. So anyway, it would be awkward to ask you to do <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to turn this camera off because i will no. no okay just kidding just kidding i'll sing for you later but anyways uh, uh making a note of that we're coming back to the singing uh where's my pen? i feel like i need to be on mass singer that's for my team i keep putting it out there i'm just saying you would be so good I know I would. I could be Betty Boop. Like that would be my costume <laughs> because it would be kind of on brand. I know we're totally going off subject right now. This is. But I like where this is going. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I don't even remember what the question was. The, uh, how did you find your confidence? Yes. How did I find confidence? <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in a home where my mom and dad are big people. My dad's from the South, my Mississippi, my mom's from Nebraska. Like they just make big people in both of those states. And my mom always told me growing up, 
if you didn't look like this, if you didn't have those thighs, you wouldn't fit into this family. You're a part of us. She never looked in the mirror and said that she was ugly, fat, or needed to alter anything about herself. She always looked in the mirror and said, oh, I look so pretty today. Or, I'm, or I love my height because look, I can grab the tallest thing in the cabinet. Her glass was always half full. She was an incredibly positive woman. And having that instilled in me and then walking into an industry that wanted to tear me apart in so many ways because I was different. Thank God I had that because it helped me realize that I could either allow people to tell me who I am, or I could remind people that they don't have authority over me and I'm going to tell them who I am. And it doesn't matter how much of that you have in you, because if people keep knocking you down, it will happen. And sure enough, it did. When I was around 18 years old, I called my mom and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm a size. I mean, I was like a size 16 at the time and I was too big and I wasn't fitting into the clothes. And there's a static around me in a way that I didn't know how to handle it. And I didn't know my worth. I didn't know who I was. And she told me, Ashley, you're staying in New York city. And I'll tell you why. She said, your body is going to change someone's life. I was like, what does that mean, mom? She explained to me that you have to start what you, you have to finish what you started. And this was my whole life. I mean, I would, you know, be signed up for all these sports and wouldn't want to go, but she made me finish the season. And she said, you have to finish the season. Well, I stuck with it. And sure enough, and along the way, she also taught me about affirmations, which is something that's been really pivotal in my confidence is affirmations. My mom always said, and I grew up in a very Christian home. And when you're a Christian, you understand that your words have incredible power over your life. And they talk about this in the Bible a lot. And she said, you need to speak better of yourself. You need to speak well of who you are. And that was my problem. My words were not lining up with what I, who I thought I was. And that really accelerated my confidence in a big way because when your mouth changes, your mind changes. And when your mind changes, your heart can change. And then boom, you can change the world. So that really accelerated my confidence. Where my confidence got a little bit rocky was in starting my podcast, was becoming a businesswoman because I've never been an academic. I've never, I never went to college. I I just always was doing what I thought, you know, what I can do with what I have. This, this idea of, I only have what I have. And I didn't know how to read contracts. <laughs> I had to find mentors that could kind of guide me. And that was really also hard because I didn't know where to look. I didn't know how to search. I just started signing up for seminars of like things that sounded kind of interesting to me or things that I didn't understand what they were about or like subjects that I didn't understand about that I wanted to. And I started meeting these incredible women who um, were lifting me up and, you know, helping me through some of um, like finances and contracts and things. But I had to really explain to myself, self, Ashley, A.G., the Ashley Graham, sister in the mirror that is awesome and better than everyone else. You can do this because you were meant to do this. You were put here to do this. And that if that means that you have to go do a course on like understanding what 
a financial advisor does or a venture capitalist or like how to build a business, then you just got to go do it. So I think that I just put my money where my mouth was. I put the time and the energy into it and it helped my confidence grow even more. That was a long answer. And yet a great one. So that's all that matters in the end. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. So like, where, where do you see this going? Cause I feel like, you know, you've been, I think it's always worth reminding that people worth reminding people that, you know, when it comes to modeling, this wasn't an overnight success for you. Like you, you'd been putting in the work, like you had been, you know, spent years as a model and you just happened to have this, you know, sort of very, uh, I don't want to say a big break, but I mean, it kind of was like the Lane Bryant commercial. And then obviously it's Sports Illustrated cover. And so it's like you, you've had this, but I think this new phase of really diving into, you know, what it means to have this sort of business of confidence, like with your podcast and all that, I think that's just beginning. So like, what does that roadmap look like for you? Like what, like, where do you see this going now, now that this people are having more nuanced conversations, more, um, you know, being more accepting of it. Cause like this, this whole idea of like body acceptance, body positivity, however you want to phrase it is still relatively new. It feels like we've been talking about it for the longest time, but it's, it's something that has only really gained mainstream attention really because you were a big part of that. You were like, a, you were a very integral part of it. So, you know, knowing that this is something that's still kind of new and something that you, you, you had a hand in helping to shape and mold, like, where do you want it to see it go? Like, where do you want to see this overall movement go? And like, where do you see your place in it? It's, it's such a big question because there's been, there's been so much progress when it comes to curvy women in the fashion industry. I mean, I've been doing this, I've been doing this since I was 12. I'm 33. So 11 years, uh, 21 years. Wow. I can do math. And there's been the most progress in the last six years. I think that anybody who's just getting into the curvy portion of the fashion industry is like, why isn't this moving faster? We need more representation. We need the grading system to be at a bigger size. We need designers to listen to our voices and put us on the runways and make us the sample size. And that's what we've been screaming for. I mean, I've been doing this for 21 years. The girls before me were screaming that. So I think that there's been so much progress. I mean, to, to sit back and think about all the covers that have had curvy women, to think about all the, the TV, the movies, all of these things, like it's, it's been something that, that has been incredibly mind blowing, but there is still this major lack of desire to make it normal, to make us normal. Why can't it be normal? And I said the word fat phobia earlier, because in a way it feels that there just is this, this fat phobia thing. So I think that, you know, there's a lot of game changers that are on the up and up. There's Paloma Alcessor. She's amazing. I had her on pretty big deal and she's really paving the way for a different kind of curvy girl. And this is the thing, like, we're not all made the same. We're not all created equally we all have different minds and bodies and hair and skin and and thoughts and style like that's what that's what i want to showcase so that's what we want to showcase so where i want this to go is bigger than than me than bigger than than modeling this has to be an ethos that is a mentality of of this not even having to be a conversation around 
women of a certain size in the fashion industry. It just is. But as far as my business goes, I think that there needs to, that gap again needs to be filled just as, just as the lingerie did 10 years ago. I think there's a lot of designers who have had success in making curvy, fashionable clothes. There's been a lot of, there's just things missing. And I think that I can kind of come in and, and fill the gap, but we just have to keep doing the job. Oh, I saw a smile on your face. Oh, no, 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 no. Because I think it was just such an excellent segue to what I, I always love to wrap my conversations by asking the question, you know, at this point in your career, like, how do you define creativity? And I think that's such an interesting space for you because, you know, you're in this, you're in this, you're in this moment where you, where there are so many possibilities and you are thinking about, you know, this, this, this larger movement and like where your role is in it. And, you know, I, I think that I would just, I'm just fascinated to hear your definition of like, how, how do you, how have you come to define creativity for you at this point in your life and career? Creativity just is like in so many different facets of, of my life. For me, it's, it's really like it, this year alone during the pandemic, I have really tapped into my spiritual side in a big way. And I think that just knowing that there's something bigger than you and tapping into prayer, meditation, just knowing that like that can get your creative juices flowing because you're tapping into something outside of your industry, outside of your friend zone, outside of the normal day-to-day -day conversation. And when you can hear like an audible voice speaking back to you about like what your future should look like, I mean, that that is, that's intriguing and that can really help you get to this other side. I think just also stepping outside of my normal day to day, like going back to Nebraska, even though I can't say that Nebraska is one of the most inspirational places in the world, it was something that was invigorating in, in that I had a, a fresh new outlook on life. Not only did I have a new baby and my husband and I were there with my mom under her roof, but it was something that was stimulating and creative. And I think that going outside of a norm day to day can really get your juices flowing. And that's what it did for me. Ah, Ashley, this was fun. This is wait, pause. No, you said you're going to sing. I wrote it down. Okay. You promised. Okay. okay. So take us out, take us out, close us out. With I can soul. show you the world. Shining, shimmering, splendid. You'll hear this voice on um, the mass Singer. Tell me, princess, now when did... I'm dancing. You let last let your heart decide. Look at my cool new shoes. I can open your eyes. Okay. <laughs> the agency is like, oh, there's shoes on the ground. Do you want to see? They're pretty. <laughs> That was okay. I feel I just got my energy boost to take me through the rest Woo! of this day because that was amazing. Thank coffee? you so much. Who I've been sipping on coffee this entire time, but now I mean this that gave me way more than this cup of coffee ever did. But you narrating <laughs> your your actions as you're singing this <laughs> amazing. Couldn't have asked for a better better way to close this. And honestly, couldn't have asked for a better guest. You are phenomenal. And I thank you so much for your time, Ashley. Thank, thank you. This you, was Casey. It's so nice to talk to you. Such a delight. Oh, you're so Likewise. Sweet. You're so sweet. Uh.
Amazing, amazing. Get back to your amazing life and your husband and your adorable baby. And yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Casey. It was so nice to talk to you. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Make sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And tune into our next episode week after next. This is a bi-weekly podcast after all. Because I'm talking to comedian and actor Jermaine Fowler. And I have to say that that conversation is as funny as it is heartbreaking. But I promise you, it's still funny. It's not a downer. So I'll see you soon.